and fabulous beings painting extravagant images of beauty and tragic pictures of death will be swept into the very throne room of God, joining in the worship of the Lamb. And all of this together, compelling us to look and to see and to hear and experience the greatest revelation of all time, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are we on stream now? You had the, pre- the quick preview, right? Are you ready for revelation? Now, so I know what some of you are thinking. At the, some of you really aren't sure at this point if you're ready. for. You're, you're kind of wondering whether maybe you should find a different church for a year or... Because it kind of depends, right? It kind of depends on a lot of things. Because for some of you, just the mention of the word revelation causes you to shudder. Right? Others salivate. Some of you pop popcorn and settle in to watch the fireworks. And others just kind of go, I'm going for a walk. Depending on our background, depending on our experiences, our expectations are influenced by those things. And, and how we respond and how we feel covers a wide range this morning. You know, when I think about the book of Revelation, I think there's, most of us fall into at least three categories. The first one is the determined avoiders. You go to the next slide there, Owen? Yeah, there we go. The determined avoiders. Now, you know who you are. You've spent a lot of time trying to avoid the fact that there's 66 books in the Bible, you would just assume there have been 65. You either were burned out on it when you were a kid, or you dabbled in it a little bit and got afraid and walked away. You weren't sure, but you've kind of been pretty focused on uh, keeping your way from that book of the Bible for, for a variety of reasons. So there's the determined avoiders, and I would guess if I ask for a show of hands, a few of you might put up your hands. But, but there's not just the determined avoiders. There's also the next category, the overly obsessed. Now, you also know who you are. You've read the books. You've bought the charts. In fact, you probably have charts that have filled the sides of walls in your rooms. You've subscribed to YouTube channels. You've, you've watched, you've soaked in all of the latest and the greatest from various televangelists. You've, you've, this has been a hot topic for you. In fact, as far as you're concerned, the other 65 books of the Bible are kind of, you know, optional. This is the book that has really mattered. You could, I won't show, I won't ask for a show of hands for those of you who would admit to be in that court. And then there's the third category, who I like to call the blissfully unaware. (laughs) Now, you might be in that category because, frankly, you're kind of new to church, new to the Bible. You're still trying to figure out what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have to say about Jesus. You actually hadn't even heard there was this book. I know, there's some of you who didn't even really, weren't aware that there was this wild and woolly, slightly crazy vision at the end of all of these books because you haven't even gotten there yet. You're not even aware that there's various positions and ideas and, and there's been a lot of ink spilt trying to figure out what this book means. You are the blissful unaware. And let me just say, for those of you who would say, I'm in that category, I really don't know much about this book, you're in a beautiful position. You really are. Those of us who spent either too much time in it or have avoided it, uh, like the plague, um, you, we, we have this, this disadvantage of trying to kind of get over a lot of things that we've heard or tried to not hear. 
But those of you who, who are going to come into this book this year uh, with, with kind of an open, uh, ready, kind of a blank canvas, I, I, I think there's some of us in the room at least that envy you. Because you've got a great start to get into this book with, with fresh eyes. But for every one of us, whatever category we'll fall into, I do have good news. I think that Jesus has something special in store for each one of us. And I hope that through this series of Revelation that we all move toward the fourth position, the position of being faithfully confident, where we're letting this revelation of Jesus shape our vision of reality, creating in us the confidence to follow Jesus wherever he leads. That's the goal of the revelation of Jesus Christ, to create faithful confidence. Well, in order to start this series well, we've got to get started off on the right path. And so we need to ask, as we should always do whenever we're turning to any one of the 66 books of the Bible, we should always start with the question, what kind of book am I reading here? Like, what kind of literature is this? What have I gotten myself into, might be the way you want to phrase it for this series. But, but, but so much of our avoidance or our obsession or our confusion around the book of Revelation stems from misunderstanding what kind of literature it is. So what is it? Well, these first eight verses that Al read for us will help us understand what we are reading. They'll get us off on the right path so that we can let Revelation define for us how we should hear it. Let me say that again. We want to let Revelation define for us how we should hear it and based on that, hear it in the way that we're supposed to hear it and respond to the way. So, in these first eight verses, and in your bulletins, in your little programs, there's a slip in there which has the first eight verses of Revelation. If, um, if you don't have a Bible, there might be some in the front pews, but everyone who received a bulletin today should have the first eight verses from the English Standard Version, which is a different version than Al read, and it's good to switch up translations. Uh, but I'll be following that along today. And so pull that out, and uh, that'll help you as we, as we follow along. As we discover in the first eight verses of Revelation, the book of Revelation is a unique combination of three genres, three types of literature. Now, are you ready for just a few minutes to go to Bible school here this morning? Because are you ready for that? Because we're just going to have to, okay? I'm going to do my best to make this connect, but buckle up, okay? So, ready for this? The first genre of the book of Revelation is that it is an apocalypse. That's actually what the very first sentence in Revelation means, where it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what all of us think of when we hear the word apocalypse. The word, exactly, a zombie apocalypse or apocalypse now, some kind of disastrous, catastrophic, end of all things event. You hear it about in the news media, right? They talk about a big stock market fall as a stock market apocalypse or a bad storm refer, being referred to as an apocalyptic storm, something grim, something destructive, something terrible. That's how we commonly use the word now. But that is not how the people of the first century heard this word. And it's certainly not how the Christians receiving this vision, this letter from John, would have heard the word apocalypse. The word apocalypse didn't have awful, destructive connotations at all. Apocalypse meant revelation. And it referred to something hidden being revealed. And that's why we chose mission. I chose this image uh, 
uh, as, as an image for our series of Revelation where something's being revealed, something's being, being opened up. The best picture probably of the word apocalypse is represented by this beautiful curtain over here. Apocalypse, uh, really important that we get this today. Apocalypse very simply means the pulling back of a curtain to reveal something that had been previously hidden. In particular, something that was present, but had been hidden from our eyes. So, just to demonstrate today, Doug, would you do this for me? Doug Real, come on up. How many of you want to see an apocalypse of Doug Real? <laughs> Doug, you just climb up on the stage there, get behind the curtain. Might have to hunch down a little bit. Now, we all know Doug's there because we saw him walk up. But imagine I'd had him stashed there the whole time. <laughs> Just imagine that. And we said, here is what an apocalypse of Doug Real looks like. <laughs> now, I realize this could run counter to my idea that apocalypse not something frightening and terrible. But, <laughs> but for today, we'll say this is good news. Doug is here. Thanks, Praise Doug. Your Thanks, Doug. <laughs> Actually, one of the beautiful, one of the most beautiful pictures I saw this summer of an apocalypse was at Kristen, Christy and Roger's wedding. Because at their wedding, at the back of Canyon Park, this beautiful path, and at their back, they had a curtain hanging between two trees, right? And Christy came up, and that moment, I've been studying on this, ready for this series for like a year now, and, and, uh, that's called nerves and stress. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember thinking as I was standing at the front going, look at that. It's the apocalypse of Christy May. Because the curtain was drawn back, and there was Christy in all of her glory. And that was a good thing, right, Roger? Amen. That was, a, that was a very good thing. So apocalypse means the pulling back of a curtain to reveal something that's been present but has been hidden. It can also refer to something breaking through from hiddenness, or the opening of a door, the lifting back of the lid. But they all point to the same thing. What was present but hidden is now suddenly Revealed, And this is very, very important that we hold on to that and hold that in front of us, that the book of Revelation is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. As we're going to see, this whole book is designed to reveal Jesus to us. Jesus who often seems hidden and yet is present. This is designed to pull back the curtain so we can see that he is present. We can see that Jesus is real so we can fully understand and interpret what's going on in our lives and what's going on around us. This means that apocalypse is not. And, and I hope that today, even as we wrestle with this, we'll begin to even have a change in our mind. When we hear the word used in our culture to rep something bad, we can say in our minds, oh no, actually apocalypse is about something good. That's about to be revealed. You know, this summer, we had a lot of smoky days, didn't we? Right? Where the clouds were low, and we were all wondering when they were going to dissipate, right? And some of us had trouble breathing. And during those smoky days, did you wonder if the sun had disappeared? No. You knew the sun was there, right? The mountains, the Skimmerhorn, the Selkirk, the Purcells, did you wonder if they'd gone anywhere? No. What you were longing for was an apocalypse, an apocalypse of the sun, an apocalypse of Mount Thompson. You were longing for the curtain of the clouds to be pulled back to reveal what was already there, right? The apocalypse of rain. The apocalypse of the sun so that we could see 
And, and we were thankful for those days when the clouds opened up and we could breathe again. So first things first, we want to keep the title in mind. I want to explore this just a touch further. Um, here we see, right at the start, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. This little word of kind of has, can have a few nuances. So the question is, does, when we start off the, the letter like this, does it mean it's the revelation about Jesus Christ? So everything that follows is going to be about Jesus. Does it mean it's something that's coming just from Jesus to us, you know, technically about something else? Or is it revelation that's coming by Jesus? So what is this of? Is it from? Is it by? Is it of? About? What? The answer is yes. It's all of those things. And it actually helps us as we remember that, as we go through the book of Revelation, that we remember that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. And it represents all those things. That is the pulling back of a curtain of Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. That is the breaking through from hiddenness of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. And if we will keep this title in mind, we will hold it before us, especially when we get into the, the, the weirder stuff as we go further along. If we will keep that in front of us, we will not go far astray. This title, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ uh, will keep us on track. That everything is designed to reveal Jesus to us. This style of apocalyptic, it's, it's, it, the whole book is written in a style that's called apocalyptic. So it's not just indicated by this first title. The style, and there was a lot of literature around the time of Jesus, a few hundred years before and after, that represented the apocalyptic style. And what it was is, it used to represent some person, a prophet or someone, being caught up in a, a vision, being taken on a journey. There's usually an angel, a sort of like a tour guide, who guides them around, brings them into the throne room of God, or gives them the heavenly perspective that, on, on what's happening to God's people. And what's happening as this evil empire seeks to destroy them. And the idea is that this, this prophet has this vision, and then comes back and tells the people who are being ground to dust under this empire that uh, they haven't been forgotten that evil will not win, that God will triumph, that God hasn't forgotten them. And that's, that's the style of apocalyptic, and, and, the, and the, the revelation of John is written in that style. The question is, why? Why did Jesus use this style? Why does John use this style? What's the purpose of it? Apocalyptic, and specifically as we apply it to the revelation, really helps us remain faithful in two vital ways. This is super important. First, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ sets our present reality with all of its struggle, all of its stress, all of its uh, difficulty, our present reality. It sets our present reality in light of the unseen realities of the future. That Jesus is coming back and he's bringing with him a new heavens and a new earth. And this is most clearly depicted in the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation. And Jesus wants this vision of the future, this vision of the new Jerusalem to help shape our faithful witness in the present. By pulling back the curtain on the future, Jesus reveals his victory to us. And he promises us life beyond the, the pressure of today, beyond the death that awaits us, beyond the suffering, the difficulty of following Jesus. He promises us of what will come, that evil will not win, that Jesus has already won, and that Jesus will win in the end. So it sets our present reality, however that is, in light of the unseen realities of the future. But, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ does more than that. More than just this future. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ 
sets our present reality with all the pressure and all the ambiguity and all the difficulty in light of the unseen realities of the present. You hear that? This apocalypse, this pulling back of the curtain, sets our present life, whatever we're going through, the present reality of your marriage, the present reality of your job, the present reality of your health, in light of the unseen reality of the present. And here it is, folks. The greatest unseen reality of the present is Jesus Christ himself. That's why it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That it pulls back the curtain so that we can reinterpret and understand our present difficulty in light of who is actually present in our lives, in the midst of our difficulty, that it's Jesus Christ himself. If you hear nothing else today, know that that is what Revelation is designed to do. That Jesus wants to reveal himself to you right where you are at. Welcome to the apocalypse. It's a good thing. So we read right at the start, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. But then we read on to discover the second genre, type of literature, of the book of Revelation. It's also a prophecy. And it's given with a blessing to all who will read and hear it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Al, did you know? Did you know you were blessed this morning for reading that that aloud to the church? Isn't that amazing? But, he didn't leave us out, right? Because it goes on to say, and blessed are those who hear. And all, and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So this blessing at least potentially applies to all of us. Now I suppose the idea that the book of Revelation is a prophecy is probably the least surprising genre of the three. Due to how Revelation has most often been taught and read, as well as how it gets depicted in popular media by televangelists, you know who I'm talking about, the idea that Revelation is prophetic or a prophecy is a bit of a no-brainer. In fact, most of us might assume that that's really all it is, with an emphasis on foretelling the future. And some of the misunderstanding and confusion that has, has come up around Revelation could actually be attributed to the fact that this futuristic, prophetic aspect of Revelation has often been allowed to overshadow all the other aspects of Revelation. As a prophetic book, Revelation stands in the long tradition of Old Testament prophets. In fact, John sees himself as standing shoulder to shoulder with Isaiah, with Jeremiah, with Ezekiel, with Daniel. And more than that, he sees himself as bringing all that they said to its full conclusion in this revelation of Jesus. It's one of the things, this this Old Testament background is one of the things that makes reading and understanding Revelation for us such a challenge. Because uh, most of us aren't very familiar with a lot of these Old Testament books or these prophetic books. Do you know that there's more allusions to uh, the Old Testament and prophetic works in the book of Revelation than there are even verses in the book of Revelation? Far more. You actually can pick virtually any verse or any passage in Revelation. And there will be one, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four or more Old Testament background passages sitting behind that one passage, that one phrase. Now, that makes it a little difficult 
for us, doesn't it? It makes it a challenge for us. To, and yet these, these, this background that John is drawing on to tell this revelation is designed to, believe it or not, help us understand what's going on. Help us interpret the type of images that are being used. And so what that means practically for us is that in order to really understand the revelation, we have to be willing to go back. Let me start by referring back to even the passages that your Bibles might help you link back to. But to, to look at, at how is, how is the, the Old Testament uh, prophetic works in particular, the Psalms, others, how are they helping um, John in, uh, explain this? How is John using this? And, and it will help us get our bearings. And as we're going through this series this year, I'll do my best to draw some of that out. But as you can imagine, based on what I just said, uh, lots of it won't be mentioned. But it's there. And it's, it's, it's a really strong uh, background. So all these prophetic books, uh, Amos, Isaiah, uh, Micah, all of them you can name, they, they'll often cover two important aspects. And this is something that relates to the book of Revelation, so I want to draw it out for a moment. Uh, prophetic books, prophetic oracles, will often have a, a foretelling aspect. And this is an awkward word that has been chosen, but a forthtelling uh, aspect. Uh, let me unpack that for a moment. Uh, so prophetic works foretell. We kind of get that part. That's the one we're familiar with. It's the sense in which they challenge the people of God to remain faithful or to repent from unfaithfulness by giving them a picture of what's coming. Usually a picture of both prophetic judgment and a prophetic promise. Kind of a warning and and a good future. And, And they often will do both. You know, Isaiah will warn of the exile that's coming, but also tell of the new heavens and a new earth. Jeremiah will foretell destruction coming because of unfaithfulness, but will also speak of a new covenant. Daniel talks about kingdoms rising and falling, and, and just on and on. This future aspect is a very important part of prophecy. But make no mistake about it, this the ultimate purpose of the foretelling aspect of prophecy, any prophecy, is to inspire present faithfulness. This is very important to understand. The ultimate purpose of foretelling is to inspire present faithfulness so that those who have ears to hear can respond and live as God's people in their today, in their lives. It wasn't given to just tickle idle curiosity and wondering what's going to happen. It was designed to cause repentance and and, and continuing faithfulness in the life of God's people. So prophetic works foretell. But they also foretell. In fact, if you read through the prophetic books of the Old Testament, you'll see that the words of the prophets and the actions of the prophets often have more to do with foretelling than we would have originally assumed. What do we mean by foretelling? Well, foretelling is actually about um, reaching back to what God has already said to his people. The already revealed word of God. And for the Old Testament prophets, this was almost always reaching back to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They'd reach back to that and challenge the people of God in the way that they were living or not living, the the idols they were following and, and, and the ways they were abusing one another, and challenge them to live according to how God had called them to live in the first place, showing them what faithful living looked, living looked like and how they were to, to be obedient children of God, and, and, and it was coupled with that warning all the time. If you don't, this will happen. If you do, this will happen. But those warnings and those promises were all rooted in those first five books, the blessings and the cursings and the promises made to the people of God as they were entering the land. Well, how does this relate to the book of Revelation? Well, as a prophecy, 
This book will reveal something of the future, both the judgment of God on, on beastly empires, as well as the future hope of all followers of the Lamb. And this future picture, this foretelling aspect of Revelation, is designed to inspire faithful witness in the present. That's what it was written for. But much of the book is actually foretelling, where the people of God are being called to remain faithful. And those who are compromising are being challenged to move back to faithfulness. As a prophecy, the book of Revelation is God speaking through Jesus, through his angels, through his servant John, to the church. And the question is, will we hear and obey this word of God? Will we be overcome or will we be overcomers? That's the question of all prophecy and it's certainly the question of the book of Revelation. So, book of Revelation is an apocalypse and the book of Revelation is a prophecy. But, It's also a letter. Did you pick that up when you heard Al read it? Verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. And if you flip right to the very, very end, you'll see a a closing, uh, a closing, um, what do you call it? Salutation? At the end of the book of Revelation, also a letter. This is the standard way, this grace to you and peace, standard way of beginning a letter, particularly a letter to the church. Read any of the letters that Paul wrote, or Peter wrote, or others, to the church, and you'll see a very similar start. This is the beginning of a letter. And it's very important that we remember this, because this whole book, the whole thing, from verse 1 to the very end, is one coherent letter given to John for a very specific group of Christian churches who were living in what is now modern Turkey. As we're going to see, these seven churches are under tremendous pressure to compromise. Some of them are winning. Some of them are losing. And one or two seem like they may have already lost. Each of these churches, from Ephesus to Thyatira and Laodicea, are intimately known to Jesus, their Lord. And the book of Revelation, after a blinding vision of Jesus, which we'll explore next week, then begins with a series of seven unique and challenging messages from Jesus to each one of these churches. And we're going to be hearing uh, these seven messages in much more detail, as well as discussing them in our weekly connect groups. But it's important to remember that this whole book is one long pastoral letter. In fact, it's the longest letter in the New Testament. And it's written to this particular group of churches. It was written to them. It was written for them. It was written to inspire them in their very specific situation to live faithful to Jesus. Remembering that, as we push through this book and as we walk through these wild and crazy visions. As we, as we get into it, we have to remember it's written to a very specific group of churches and it will help us as we go further into the revelation. We want to, whatever we see and understand and hear from this revelation of Jesus, it was written to them first. And it has to make sense in their situation. Now, does that mean that this letter has no applicability to us, Erickson Covenant Church? No, of course it has applicability to us. I wouldn't be doing it we wouldn't be exploring it if it didn't. In fact, these messages, these seven messages, and then the whole letter were intended to be heard and read by each of the other churches and then by extension to us. But we'll only understand how it applies to our situation here in Canada, here in Creston, 
what it means to be his church today in the 21st century. We're only going to understand that if we remember that we're listening to a letter that was written to our brothers and sisters from these specific churches. Now, this is true of every other book in the Bible. But for some reason, when we come to the book of Revelation, it's been easy for Christians to forget that it was written to specific other Christians. It's been easy to cut it off from its background and its context. And once we've done that, frankly, we can let Revelation uh, pretty much say whatever we want it to. So, it's kind of a, a way of keeping us in check. If we buy into an interpretation of Revelation that actually makes zero sense of the context of these early churches, it might be a signal that we've missed something. So, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was, is, and was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. The revelation of Jesus Christ is an apocalypse, pulling back the curtain so that we can see the Jesus who is here and who is coming. Are you ready for Jesus to reveal himself to you? The revelation of Jesus is a prophecy calling us to live faithful to God, calling us back to faithfulness in light of what he said and what he is doing in the world. Are you ready to hear God's word spoken to us through this revelation this year? And the revelation of Jesus Christ is a letter written by Jesus to his church, written by Jesus to us, challenging his people here and now to be faithful and faithful into his good future. Well, what do we do with that? You know, we heard this blessing at the beginning. Blessed are those who read it. Blessed are those who hear it. Blessed are those who obey it. How do we get in on this blessing? A lot of people have commented on the fact that there's not many other places in Scripture where this kind of blessing for reading a book is so powerfully given. How do we get in on this blessing? Well, I think we get in on it by approaching Revelation, by entering Revelation with open ears, with ready hearts, and with obedient lives. By taking this revelation of Jesus into our lives and into our imaginations and letting His vision of the world transform our vision of reality. But let's get really practical. I want to challenge us today that we would each commit to this journey through revelation. Jesus wants to reveal Himself to us this year. Are we willing to commit to that revelation? I think we can do this in three synergistic ways this year. First of all, to commit to gathering together to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ here on Sunday mornings at 10.30. Now you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. Great, it's the pastor. He's harping on about attendance at church again. Really? I stand before you to tell you, really? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you and I want to get in on the blessing that Jesus has for us, if we will commit to gathering in the midst of the craziness that's our lives and having Jesus pull back the curtain every single week so that we can not only see and hear and receive the revelation, but so that we can worship out of revelation, so that we can join the chorus of these living beings and these 24 elders and all of creation as they worship. If we will commit to do that, we will experience God's blessing in our lives. 
I don't guarantee it. God guarantees it. Do you hear that? So if you will commit, you will say, you know what? I'm going to make gathering to worship and to hear and to respond to the revelation of Jesus. I will make Sunday morning a priority. I will not put yard work over top of a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? I'm not going to decide to change my oil Sunday morning. I am going to make it a priority to be present with others, with brothers and sisters, with fellow seekers, to receive from Jesus His revelation. If you will do that, you will experience God's blessing in your life. You will. Now, but there's a second way. I said three, right? Here's the deal. We're having connect groups this fall. Those of you here last week already heard me punch this one. But I'm here to punch it again. We're, for October and November, and into the first week of December, nine weeks, we're gathering in a variety of connect groups throughout the week at different times. And we're going to study together, discuss together, ask questions together, sit with hear, listen, respond, in particular to the seven messages that Jesus gives to the churches. We're calling it the seven messages that Jesus wants every Christian to hear. If we will say, you know what, I'm going to gather and worship, and then on Wednesday night, or on Thursday night, or on Tuesday night, or Thursday morning, I'm going to come and I'm going to gather with others, and we're just going to sit with this. We're going to ask some questions. doesn't mean we're going to have all the answers at the end of that, but we're going to sit, we're going to read, we're going to ask, how can we obey this? How can we follow this? What is Jesus telling me about myself? What is Jesus telling us about our church? If we will commit to do that, it is going to amp up what you get out of Revelation, what Jesus is able to give you out of Revelation. And dare I say it, oh, this sounds so dangerous, but I'm going to say it. It's going to amp up how much blessing you can receive out of the Revelation. It will. God promised it, not me. So if that's an issue, take it up with him. And then the third one I want to challenge you is just your personal reading. So in the midst of gathering to worship and gathering to receive the revelation and, and committing to a, a connect group and saying, ah, that's weird, that's weird. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to like the people I get together with, but I'm going to take a step of faith and do it because I want blessing. If you also take, and here's what I, I want to confine it for you, Revelations 1 through 5, just the first five chapters, for this fall. This fall. Now till Christmas. If you'll take Revelation 1 through 5, and you'll decide, I'm going to eat that thing up. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to drink it in. Any other metaphors I should be using here? A lot of eating and drinking metaphors. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to let the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read it in different versions of the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it while I drive. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on audio at home. I'm going to read it to my spouse or a friend, or some random guy in the street. I'm just going to read and soak in Revelation 1 through 5, and let that, those first chapters, this vision of Jesus, these messages to the churches, and then, as we'll see closer to Advent, the, the, the vision of God's throne room, and, and the worship that's happening in all of creation of Jesus. Let those five chapters just permeate your life. Some of you might even want to try memorizing it. If you will do all those three things, I, I actually don't know what kind of blessing you'll experience because I actually think it's beyond my expectations. But I know that Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And if we will as a community say, let's make it a priority 
to come together to worship and receive this revelation of Jesus, well, there's just no telling what will happen in our lives. This morning you may have thought that we, commit, we quitted worship early to give me time to preach a much, much longer sermon, but we didn't. What we wanted to do today is something that we'll probably be doing more often as we enter into the Revelation. We want to worship out of what we've heard, to raise our voice together to worship the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. We want to sing glory to him. We want to declare his dominion. So Amanda and her team are going to come and now lead us in a time of continued worship as we respond to Jesus' commitment and his desire to reveal himself to us. There we go. Excellent. As we leave today, it's only fitting that we're sent by uh, the words of Revelation 1 again. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How do these words send us today? I'm going to focus quickly on three ways. First of all, we are sent into the week by the one who loves us. The Jesus who has revealed himself to us as the king of the rulers of the earth, as the firstborn of the dead, speaking of his resurrection, as the faithful witness who will be revealed in this book as the lion who is the lamb. This Jesus is the one who loves us. Notice that this is in the present tense. It's, it's that he loves you now. He loves you here. He didn't just love you yesterday, though that's true. He, he doesn't just promise to love you tomorrow, though we're thankful for that. Jesus loves you today, here. And whatever you're facing in the week ahead, whatever struggle or pressure or challenge, you can go into this week knowing that you've been sent by the one who loves you. And that He is with you. That the greatest unseen reality in the week ahead, that the greatest unseen reality in your marriage, that the greatest unseen reality at your school, that the greatest unseen reality in whatever health crisis or family crisis you might be facing, the greatest unseen reality is Jesus, the one who loves you and sends you into the week ahead. Friends, that's what it means for us to live apocalyptically. We're also sent by Jesus, the one who freed us from our sins by his blood. The dominant image of Jesus throughout the book of Revelation is a slain lamb. And we're going to see how this slain lamb has conquered death and sin on our behalf, on behalf of every man, woman, and child, on behalf of all creation. Sin is a done deal. Payment has been made in full. It is finished. We have been freed past tense from our sins by His blood. That means that as we're sent into the week ahead, we can walk free. We can live free. We can love free. And I hope today that means that you can leave here today with a lighter heart, with a lighter spirit, lighter on your feet, knowing that you've been given the gift of freedom. And because of that gift of freedom accomplished by Jesus, we can live faithful to Jesus in whatever reality you're facing this week. He's the one who has sent you. We're not only sent by the one who loves us and the one who's freed us, but Jesus 
We are sent by Jesus, the one who has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Brothers and sisters, as people who've been freed, as people who are loved, we have a work to do, work that God has given us. As a kingdom of priests, Jesus has given us a mandate that in the week ahead, we mediate his grace to others. That we extend His loving rule to our schools, to our workplaces, to our valley, in in our relationships, in our families. That we reveal the love of Jesus and the freedom He has accomplished to a broken and a lost world. Go today in grace, sent by Him who loves you, who has freed you, and who has made us to be a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. To you, Jesus, be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in grace.